0: Chris, West, thank you for leading us this Sunday. Yeah, that's... Thank you. Chris and his wife Jennifer and their lovely family traveled all the way to Alaska to lead us uh, in in services. No, they they moved here over the summer to attend the seminary, and Chris is, uh, I think, doing an MDiv in worship, and so we're happy to have... those benefits of the seminary close by where we have uh, lots of people who are able to fill in in those ways. Well, if you would, open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs. It'll be in Proverbs chapter 16. And as you do so, I want you to consider <clears throat> when you were a child. Some of you are like, I still am a child. You can maybe learn something from this as well. But when we were children... We often had a very limited perspective of the world. In fact, as children, our perspective was that the world revolves around us, right? That this world was made for me and that this world was all about me. And such self-centeredness is often illustrated in the things that our children say to us. And I I just thought of some of my own children, my own life that I can remember, things that I have heard children in the hallways of this church say, things like this. I did my chores. Can I have some money? As if there isn't the fact that you have a free rent and all your meals are covered, that you you need to do more, Uh, you need to receive money. Or... This is one of my children. I ate my breakfast, so I can get dessert, right? Not considering the fact that Captain Crunch is just sugar and milk. My room, it's mine. I can do whatever I want in it. I can lock the door. I can arrange it how I want. I can do what I want in my room. Get out. This is mine. Ever said those things? Ooh, I don't like that i'll just have pizza mom and dad you never do anything for me yeah <laughs> well if you're an adult you're probably hearing yourself maybe many years ago through some of those statements maybe you hear the statements of your own children now and, and isn't it scary i'm, I'm learning this maybe you're like yeah welcome to the club But you you see your life flash before your eyes in the the words of your children. And I tell my wife, buckle up, most of them are like me. (laughs) 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 But when we mature, though, when we grow up, maybe it's not until we have children that we realize these things. But as we mature, we begin to realize just how much our parents did for us how much they provided. And we gain a greater awareness of the world, don't we? We leave our home, we, we begin to experience life, and, and we realize, okay, the world doesn't revolve around me. Now some of us believe it still, and that, is a, uh, that causes conflict for us often. We sometimes struggle to come to grips with the reality that the world does not revolve around any one of us. And this is exactly what Proverbs is wanting to help us understand. Proverbs, we're called to gain a greater awareness of the world, understand how the world really works best. More specifically, we're summoned, we're called, we're invited to have a greater knowledge of God as our loving Father and mighty Creator. And we saw this last Sunday, if you were with us. We studied how how God and His wisdom created the world out of nothing. But even as we look at the world, we can see the wisdom of God woven through the very fabric of creation. Because God is our all-wise creator, Proverbs regularly calls us to gain wisdom through what it calls the fear of the Lord. Fearing the Lord is a holy reverence to His authority over our lives. Fearing the Lord is is trusting Him with all of our heart and acknowledging Him with all of our ways. Fearing the Lord, knowing wisdom, is honoring the Lord with our lives. In other words, Proverbs is calling us to a life of worship to recognize that this world is not about us. This world is all about Him. And the sooner we realize that, the better we'll be. And we'll realize how to live the truly blessed life, to find true wisdom in life. And in order for us then to go up in our worship, for us to rise high in worship, to go to the mountain peak of Worship, there's a biblical principle that says in order to go up, we must go down. We must go down into the depths of the knowledge of God. We must dig below the surface and the further we dig down specifically in His Word, and we begin to catch the wonder and the splendor and the majesty of God, oh, that is when we will arise into worshiping Him. And so we will only worship God to the extent that we know Him. And so like a child growing up into maturity, Proverbs instructs us so that we may mature in our awareness of Him. This is especially true of what we'll study this morning in Proverbs chapter 16. We're just going to limit our time, our focus to the first nine verses, but I'm going to, as we will do every week really through the rest of this series, uh, take a passage as kind of a launching pad to get a bigger feel for what these things are are spoken of throughout Proverbs. So follow along with me as I read Proverbs 16, verses 1 through 9. The plans of the heart belong to man, but the answer of the tongue is from the Lord. All the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the Spirit. Commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established. The Lord has made everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured, he will not go unpunished. By steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. When a man's ways please the Lord, he makes even his enemies to be at peace with him. Better is a little with righteousness than great revenues with injustice. The heart of a man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes his steps. It's my prayer this morning as we consider God's Word that we grow in our awareness of God's sovereignty over all. That's really been the theme of this whole service. How great is our God. Behold our God. Who is like our God. And what we're going to see even in Solomon's Proverbs is that there are no limits to God's power to accomplish His purposes in the world. And that even the plans of our hearts, the things that we desire, only express themselves on our lips if He has ordained it to be so. What we'll see is that the Lord's all-encompassing rule is good. It's good news to those who love and fear Him. So for this reason, there is no one like our God. And on this basis, we worship and adore Him. And so from this passage this morning, we're going to explore the wonder of God and His sovereignty so that we may worship Him with every fiber of our being. Toward that goal, I want to give us three compelling reasons then to worship our sovereign God. These points are going to go as follows. Number one, the Lord is almighty. The Lord is just and the Lord is good. The Lord is almighty, the Lord is just, and the Lord is good. Let us consider that the Lord is almighty. Our passage begins and ends with a declaration of God's complete sovereignty over human affairs. Look at the text again with me. Look in verse 1. The plans of the heart belong to man, but The answer of the tongue is from the Lord. So man plans things in his heart. He desires things. I'm going to say, I'm going to do. The mouth is just the expression of what the heart is desiring. He says, oh yeah, you you may desire this, but the answer, it coming into play, it coming into action is from the Lord. Kind of like bookends, Solomon repeats this in another way in verse 9. He says, the heart of man plans his ways. I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. But it is actually the Lord who establishes his steps. I think I'm going to go get a bag of chips out of, the, out of the pantry. That's what I want. Well, it's the Lord who established your steps to get there. It's kind of the idea, even in the most trivial things. This idea is quite clear. Humanity Or as humans, we do what we desire. Even if there are external forces uh, that make us do maybe things that are less than ideal, we, at the end of the day, do what we want to alleviate pain, to, to experience pleasure. We would say, I'm the deciding factor in my decisions. However, what we read here is that the outcome has been ordained by God. I want you to see this. Flip over to chapter 19, verse 21. Said just a little differently. 1921. <clears> Many are the plans in the mind of a man. So you're kind of seeing the internal decision making. The heart in the Jewish mind was, or in the Jewish world, was the center of the whole person and their being. And now just kind of a, a similar way of talking about it: the plans in the mind of a man many of them are but it is the purpose of the Lord that will stand you and I may have our plans may have our agenda but nothing will stand unless it is the Lord's bidding is what Solomon wants us to understand and so here the mystery this is a mystery a mystery between human responsibility and divine sovereignty are on display in this passage You do have real desires. You do have real plans. But somehow, our human desires and actions are compatible with God's sovereign purposes. And so in this way, we do what we want to do. Yet the things we do are the very things that God has ordained to come about. You begin to start thinking about that too long, your mind is going to explode, right? This is exactly what Solomon wants his sons to understand and what the Lord wants us to understand. Just like a child, you might have thought this world was all about you. But Proverbs says, oh, no, 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 no. This world is all about him and his purposes. Flip over to Proverbs 21.1. And you see, this is everywhere. This isn't just, oh, this is some obscure passage. No, this is laced throughout Proverbs, and and you'll find it is laced throughout the Scriptures. But Proverbs 21.1 says, The king's heart is a stream of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he will. Even the king. And here the kings represent the most powerful people on the face of the planet. Even they, their heart is like a stream of water by which the Lord turns it wherever he wishes. So consider the rulers of our world. Consider our president. Consider dictators of this world. It may look on the surface that they do whatever they want. In a real sense, they do. They do whatever they want. They say whatever they want. They plan however they want to plan. But even their actions are not outside of the Lord's sovereign hand. All their plans, all their biddings, all their tweets do not come to fruition apart from the sovereign hand of God. He has their heart in His hand. So how much more then, does this apply to regular old folk like you and me? who are not powerful, who are not mighty, who do not lead nations? The point is this: that no one's actions are independent of the Lord's rule. And this is why Solomon will say elsewhere in Proverbs 21:30, "You don't need to turn there. No wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against. Lord, And that's the end of him just saying, I've got the king's heart in my hand. So even when you look at the news and you see all the horrific things, you maybe even see people plotting and scheming and raising their fist in anger to God, even all their plans are futile because the Lord has them all in his hand. So not to miss the comprehensiveness of the Lord's sovereignty, come back to our text. Sometimes people say, well, yeah, of course, God's got the big picture in mind. And ultimately, it's all going to work out in the end. And somehow, people want to maintain this sense of autonomy by by casting out to generalities, but, but saying, well, but in all the little minor details, he's not involved. Well, Solomon addresses that as well. Look at verse 33 of chapter 16. And he goes to something what we would consider trivial. Something that we would consider leaving it up to chance. And he says, the lot is cast into the lap. But it's every decision is from the Lord. Lots would be two rocks. Throw them and give you a yes or no answer. For us today, it's the flip of the coin. Say, all right, I'm going to make a decision. Flip the coin wherever it lands. That's what we'll do. And we don't think anything about it. And he says, even the most minute details of life that you think are up to chance are determined by the sovereign hand of God. That's what he's saying here. Jesus even says, not a sparrow, not a bird falls from the sky apart from God's hand. I was driving on the road today. There's a dead bird on the road. Didn't think a thing about it until I reviewed my sermon. (laughs) I bet you passed some dead birds, roadkill. You see those buzzards? They're disgusting little animals. Not a one fell apart from God saying, Fall. And we don't think about those things. It's kind of like growing up. Oh, I thought the world was all about me. But then Proverbs is saying, No, 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 lift your eyes just a little bit higher. (sighs) It has nothing about you this is all about him this is all him it's all under his direction and control and that God is almighty is further expressed in our text by the comprehensiveness of his knowledge verse two all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes don't you think so of course you do oh I do what's right I'm the smartest person or my ways the right way Or my decisions, by and large, I'm making good choices. We all think of ourselves in the positive light, by and large. But he says it's the Lord who's gonna weigh the Spirit. All of us think that we know our heart, but Proverbs is saying you don't really. At the end of the day, you can't even, I can't even truly assess our motives. You may think they're pure. But it's the Lord who's going to weigh those scales. The Lord is going to do that. We see this in verse 25. There's a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way to death. Many people in this world say, I am going to live my life the way I think it should be lived. And Proverbs says, yeah, and that'll be the way of death. I'll live it apart from the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll live it apart from submitting to His sovereign rule over my life. I'll try to live in denial of these truths and you will find your way on the crooked path, the path that leads to death. But what we learn is that only God truly knows our hearts. And this is because He knows everything. Look at chapter 15, verse 3. The eyes of the Lord are in every place, keeping watch on the evil and the good. The picture here is that that God is all-knowing. He knows everything about every person. His eyes are all around. They are in every place. Verse 11 of that same chapter. Sheol and Abaddon lie open before the Lord. That's the place of the dead. How much more are the hearts of the children of man? And that would have been very significant to the Jewish mind. The place of the dead, no one goes there. At least, no one wants to go there. It's the, it's the deep, mysterious places of the world, the places that no one has knowledge about, but the Lord does. And even the children of man, even humanity, their hearts are laid open to him. And he knows everything that's in them. Therefore, he is the one who's going to judge hearts and actions. He is the sovereign judge of the universe. And I want you to see this very practically as the Apostle Paul applies these truths to his life. So go over to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. 1 Corinthians chapter 4 you're familiar with the book of 1 Corinthians, Apostle Paul is defending his ministry in some sense. The mystery of the cross, the wisdom of God, that he is an apostle who speaks on behalf of God, declaring his truth. But if you look in verse 3, chapter 4 in 1 Corinthians, Look at what he says. He says, but with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. Now, let's stop right there. Most of us would be like, amen, that's right. It's a very small thing what you think of me, right? We often say that if someone like, corrects us. We get defensive. It's no thing what you think of me. Very few of us, I think, will go on to what Paul goes to say. He says, in fact, I do not even judge myself. For I am not aware of anything against myself. In my heart, I think I'm pure. I think my motives are good. I'm not aware of any blatant sin and rebellion in my life. But I am not thereby acquitted. That doesn't make me innocent. That doesn't make me free of guilt. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. Oh, that will begin changing the way we talk about one another. Oh, I know what he was thinking. I know what she was thinking. It also brings some freedom, doesn't it? Because the truth is, you don't even know what you're thinking sometimes. If you ever made a decision and you go back, and you're like, Lord, I, I'm trying to make the right one. I think my heart's pure in this. I think my motives are, are, are right. But you, you begin to realize how you battle that tension of sin in your own life and the decisions you make and really how limited you and I are. This passage in First Corinthians, and then if we consider Proverbs, our main text... Realize, oh, our God is Almighty, and He knows. He knows. He knows all things. He He weighs the spirit, and so this is good news to us. And so, come back to Proverbs chapter sixteen. This is good news for how we then live our life. It actually eliminates worry. This eliminates fretting. This eliminates chewing on your fingernails about your decisions. And look at what he says to us. He says, in light of these truths, commit your work to the Lord, and your plans will be established, for the Lord has made everything for its purpose. Okay? So what does that look like? It looks like committing your plans to Him, because at the end of the day, you don't trust yourself. This is proverbs 3 5 right proverbs 3 5 trust in the lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding right it's always our default to think we know what's going on but proverbs says no you don't even know yourself well enough trust me so what does that look like it's like committing ourselves to him It looks like praying and, Lord, Lord, I I want to live for you. I want to commit my work, my ways, my, my decisions, my plans, my steps. Lord, I want them to reflect your will. I want them to be pleasing to you. I don't want to live for myself. So these verses comfort us that God is at work even in our desires. And that our decisions, get this, aren't going to mess things up. You ever had a struggling decision? Should I take this job or should I take that one? Should I go to this school or should I go to that school? If you're really lucky, should I marry her or her? You know? he had been, been laying them out. You're like, I don't, I don't know which one to choose, whichever one you want. That's the freedom. If you're walking with the Lord, do you think Satan put in your desire? Yeah, go marry this godly girl who loves the Lord with all her heart, mind, soul, and strength. Or yeah, yeah, go and follow and, and marry this godly man who loves the Lord and, and is trying to uh, 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 plan his ways around the things of God and give his life to Yeah, you think Satan is involved in that? and going to trick you? Oh, I want to do this job. It's going gonna, it's gonna to meet my needs. You know what? There's nothing blatantly sinful. This is an honorable place of work. Well, then do it. You're not going to mess it up. Because not even the words that I'm speaking are coming off my lips apart from the Lord saying, let it be so. This is made very clear again in verse 9. The heart of man plans his ways, but the Lord establishes your steps. So the godly understand this. They understand that God knows our hearts better than we do, and so they, they submit to His sovereign rule over their lives. And they say, along with Jesus Savior, not my will be done, but your will be done. I submit to you because you know what's best. So in this way, the believer must not fear. The believer does not fret. We rest that He will establish our plans according to His purposes. Now, this doesn't mean that everything we desire will come to pass. But it does mean, this is like the psalmist says, delight yourself in the Lord and He will give you the desires of your heart. Do you pray like this? Lord, conform my will to Yours. Lord, I would love that job. I would love to marry that person. I would love to have this opportunity. And I'm sure all of us have deep desires and longings and dreams that we long for. And some of us are still waiting, aren't we? But our prayer is not give me what I deserve like a child. We say, Lord, if you will, because I know you are sovereign and you're accomplishing your purposes and that's why you have me on this earth to reflect your glory. And I find rest and satisfaction in knowing that. We understand that God... We'll do what is best. So what do we do when we make decisions? We pray, we plan, and we act. We pray, we plan, we act. Sometimes we think it's unspiritual to plan and strategize. It's only so much unspiritual unless you've committed, if you don't commit your ways to the Lord. We pray, we plan, we act. Think about the Lord meeting your needs. You plan a budget. You don't just spin frivolously and say, oh, well, the Lord, I'm trusting Him. I'm committing my ways to Him. And I'll just balance my budget miraculously at the end of the month. No, you plan. You work. You commit your ways to Him according to His rule, according to His ways. You do that in life. You do that for studying. I find it comical how students will say, pray for me. Uh, I got a test coming up. I'm like, oh, how do you want us to pray? How do you want me to pray for you guys? Well, that I do well. How about this? I'll pray that the Lord blesses how much study you've put in. He recalls the work you put in to your mind. So this is the first reason to worship God. Now that was my longest point, just so you know. first reason to worship God is because He's almighty. But we also see from this passage that the Lord is just. We serve a just God. He is sovereign, and so He's just. Look at verse 4 again. The Lord has made everything. That's pretty comprehensive, just so you know everything for its purpose, even the wicked for the day of trouble. Whoa. Even the wicked? He made them for his purposes? Yeah. Because this isn't about us. This is about him. Let me give you an example of this, Pharaoh. This is what the Lord said to Pharaoh in Exodus 9:16, But for this purpose, I raised you up. Pharaoh probably thought so he was God over Egypt. That's exactly what he thought. I am God. God says, no, 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 no. I raised you up for this purpose. And this is the purpose, to show you my power. So that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. Was it Habakkuk who's praying, Lord, please, your people, they have turned away from you. Come and do something. And the Lord gives them the answer and says, Well, I've raised up the Assyrians, this wicked nation. They're going to come in and smash you. Uh, God, that's not fair. It's not up to you to decide what the Lord deems is fair and just. But he does then tell them, But they'll receive their, their justice. This passage assures us that the wicked will ultimately be judged on the day of trouble. Proverbs does. The evil intentions of the heart will ultimately be exposed. And God will execute justice. So this means that even the wicked, their evil purposes, their evil schemes, will not stand or prevail against the Lord. It comes back to that compatibilism. Somehow, God is holy, righteous, and just. He is, there is no darkness in Him. He is light. He is not evil, yet even the evil of this world accomplishes His purposes. So you might be struggling and say, how does that work? Well, just think of the cross. You, can, you might not be able to explain it, but I think you can see how His purposes came together in the cross. That He predetermined that wicked men... Would hand over his son to be crucified for the sins of the world. And so, by their wickedness, Christ gained victory over Satan, sin, and death. I don't know why that's why, how he did it. I just know that's what he did. And even Pontius Pilate, in all his decisions and washing his hands, I am clean. My motives are pure. Behold your king. Let him let his blood be on your heads. Well, it was, and on his as well. And they accomplished exactly what the Lord ordained to, ha- to take place. So this is why we read in verse 5, everyone who's arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord, be assured he will not go unpunished. Our God is holy. He's just. There is no darkness in Him at all. He is light. And therefore, we can be assured that He will execute justice upon this earth. In this world, it may look as if those who do not fear the Lord get on top. It may look like if you have all the money and resources in the world that you, you can somehow live a life whatever way you please. But the Lord says, rest assured. I will reckon their accounts. So my question for us is, do you have secret sin in your life? Maybe things in your heart you've never told anyone? Maybe you're particularly gifted at covering your tracks? Just know He's Almighty and He's all-knowing. Do you really think you'll get away with it? It's the fool who says in their heart, there is no God. That's every one of us when we decide, I'm going to go my own way. We're going to close with this great truth. Not only is the Lord Almighty, not only is He just, but He is also good. The Lord is good. This passage is good news for sinners. You might be saying, yeah, I'm waiting for that. This is good news for sinners. Because we see in verse 6 that there is atonement, that there is mercy. Atonement means satisfaction, that He will make one, He will make right our sins. Verse 6, by steadfast love and faithfulness, iniquity is atoned for. And by the fear of the Lord, one turns away from evil. Here still is this human responsibility, divine sovereignty. But here's the point. Those who find wisdom, those who seek out the Lord, those who put their trust in Him, they find forgiveness. They find mercy. They find Jesus opening opening His arms and saying, I will cover you. Because the truth is, all of us know our heart in some sense. Yeah, we might think it's pure, but we know it's not. And this sovereign God who will expose all the purposes of man's heart, to those who come to him, he will cover the evil purposes of our heart. He will do that. Look in chapter 28, verse 13. This is really good news. And if you don't know the Lord today, heed these words. Heed these words today. Proverbs twenty-eight thirteen: Whoever conceals his transgressions, he who covers it, who tries to hide it, will not prosper. But he who confesses and forsakes them will obtain mercy. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart Will fall into calamity. Do not harden your heart today. If you hear. There's good news. You may think. Oh I'm safe if I cover my sin. I'm safe if I just keep it in the closet. I'm safe if I just turn the other way. Harden my heart. Ignore everything that the scriptures are saying. I will find safety. And he says no you won't. Great calamity will come. On that day of trouble. But if you reveal it you confess it to the Lord Lord I have sinned against you I have rebelled against you my heart is wicked Lord and this is how I express it and Lord my heart is so longing to go after these things that I know are an abomination to you And the Lord says in my son I have covered it in my son You will find mercy. On that day, I will welcome you into my kingdom and I will say, well done, good and faithful servant. That's the God we serve. That's the God whom we love and we adore. Our God is mighty. He is awesome. His ways are far above ours and even impossible for our finite minds to try to make sense of it. And so there is really only one adequate response to these truths. And that response is humility. That's what Job had to learn when God put his sovereignty on display and Job sat down in sackcloth and ashes. He says, I will cover my mouth because clearly I don't know what I'm talking about. The only adequate response to this God is humility and worship. That's it. Any other response will not do. So as we get ready to sing our closing song, let me close with this outburst of praise from the Apostle Paul in Romans 11, who says, oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God.